A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, you're listening to The Future of Media Explained with me, Press Gazette Editor-in-Chief Dominic Ponsford. And this week, we're learning all about how to take your media brand global. And joining me on The Future of Media Explained sofa is Press Gazette UK Editor, Charlotte Tobit. Hi, Charlotte. Hello, Dom. It's a sort of an extended sofa, isn't it? Or maybe a corner Oh, a lovely L-shaped sofa. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So going global is quite a enticing prospect at the moment for a lot of media brands, especially if you're based in the UK, because the UK economy is a bit meh at the moment, whereas the US economy is looking a bit better. And then you're going to the Middle East, everything's kind of fine, isn't it? Because they've got lots of oil. To find out about how to successfully go global, we have a very successful, extremely successful global brand, don't we? Exactly. I've spoken to Will Welch, who is the Global Editorial Director of GQ. And as we'll speak a bit more about, they've undergone a major global content strategy change since about 2021. I think it's worth noting, obviously, lots of brands are already global in one way. GQ, for example, already had different editions in about 20 different markets. But the key difference here is instead of all working separately, they're now working all to the beat of one drum, as it were. They're all actually talking and collaborating in ways that they never were before. And I think there's probably a lot of lessons that could be learned from what they're doing at other major media brands. Yeah, so previously, uh, famous magazines would license out the name, wouldn't they? But there wouldn't be much collaboration beyond the fact that someone would, had bought the brand and brought the franchise in a way and could go and do it in Dubai or somewhere else. Yeah, so GQ still has a mixture of wholly owned and licensed outs, but as I say, they're all collaborating now in a way that's never really happened before with licensed magazines. We were looking at the GQ circulation numbers before we came in and reminded ourselves or reminded myself that it's actually weathered things pretty well, hasn't it? It's been going for a long time. 1931 in its original form. It's still selling 80-odd thousand in the UK. That's down from a sort of peak of something like 200,000 or not, maybe not even as much as that, was yeah, it? Yeah, 100 and something. 20 years ago. But compare that to the lads' mags, they all got wiped out, didn't it? But it's in a slightly different market, isn't it? It's style and it's a style mag, isn't it, for chaps? Is that fair? Yeah, it certainly started that way. I think they see it as they've branched out a bit now beyond style or let the style ethos sort of different types of culture and actors and musicians and stuff beyond just this is good fashion they've made that last and yeah as you say they've done a lot better than that lads mags and lower market brand of men's mag yeah i was amazed to see it sells nearly a million copies in the u.s 
yeah, we're Welsh, got quite a, quite a big empire. And that's not even mentioning the digital audience, obviously, which is big and growing. Brilliant. What, what did he have to say, Will? How can we emulate GQ's success? Yeah, as lots of brands realise the potential of Zoom and other online tools during the pandemic, that's what Condé Nast did. And so basically, they've got this global content strategy, as I mentioned. Will told us a bit about what they've done and why, how the operations changed, how the editorial teams work together now, a bit about how that works on a practical level. He's talked about it within the example of their new creativity issue, which is the first one where the whole issue shared across the world and the Global Creativity Awards, which they're launching in tandem of that and they're hoping to make that eventually as big as their long-standing Men of the Year brand. So we'll hear some interesting examples, I think. But we'll started by defining what GQ is and who it's for today in 2023. GQ is a cutting-edge global media brand. We think of ourselves as the global flagship of men's fashion. There are 20 GQs around the world. So when we say global, we we really mean it. And yeah, I think GQ has a really well-honed point of view. And in terms of who we're for, I think it's anybody who really relates to or finds interest in our point of view across fashion, lifestyle, um, culture, all the areas that we cover. So we really like the front door to be wide open. But of course, like I said, we're the global flagship of men's fashion. And that's sort of since the brand was founded in 1957, been the starting point. And we, we, we hold that starting point with pride, but there's so much else that we do now. And I think also for me, when I became, I started working at GQ in the US in 2007 and became editor-in-chief of GQ US in 2019. And or late 2018. And at the time, I was really like digging into the GQ archives and trying to really get my head around what the brand has always been about. And what I discovered is that it's really about embracing change. It's about the cutting edge. It's about seeing around corners. And it's for the approach we take editorially and the audience that we're speaking to is one that is leaned in to what's coming next. And for that reason, I think it's really important that we be cutting edge media brand when it comes to how we use digital video, social, we've been exploring web three, all of those things. I think GQ, we're not a classicist brand that reasserts like time honored values. We're really like looking ahead and we're for readers who love to see what's coming. And so we try to apply that not only to the nature of our content, but also how we show up on all of our platforms, how we connect with audiences. That completely makes sense. So then that presumably ties into sort of your big change in the past couple of years, the global content strategy. I just thought it would make sense before you explain how you work now, just to outline how you worked before. Sure, yeah. So as I mentioned, there there are 20 GQs around the world, a mix of wholly owned properties and licensees. And prior to 2021, each of the GQs was really quite independent. So there was an editor-in-chief in each market, and each editor-in-chief, without a lot of conversation or collaboration around GQ globally, was sort of marching to the beat of their own drummer. I think there, there was an era where that was really valid and made sense, but the world has changed a lot. God knows the media business has changed enormously. And we felt like it was time to update our strategy and to really take hold of what I saw as a sort of 
latent superpower that we weren't tapping into, that we weren't using, that we weren't organized to seize and apply. So what we did in 2021 was we underwent a global transformation and what we built was a true GQ global network. So now what you have is all of the GQs around the world really working as one team in terms of editorial, in terms of business. But the most important foundation of that was like bringing in brand alignment because over that history that I mentioned where each GQ was marching to its own drum, some were, there was a lot of different perspectives or different expressions of what GQ could mean around the world. And so the first thing we needed to do was really get unified under what is GQ? What do we stand for? What are we about? Who are we trying to reach? What are our principles and our values? One of the mantras that came out of that, that, that I still absolutely love and I'm super proud of is this idea of change is good. Again, going back to what I saw when I went and looked at GQ from the very beginning and what the brand stands for and who it speaks to. This idea of, I think we're all just constantly spun out as we all moved through COVID and a lot of political and economic instability through just like the chaos of the world. But GQ's perspective is that if you embrace it the right way, if you occupy this understanding that the world is constantly in flux and that can be new and exciting instead of just constantly terrifying, that was a really powerful rallying cry for us. And I think just a kind of like necessary position for tackling our very chaotic world. And then there were other ideas that we aligned across. So another one is our idea of the new masculinity. I mentioned that I became editor-in-chief of GQ US at the end of 2018, which was really the throes of the Me Too movement, certainly here in the US, but also globally. And when <laughs> you were taking on leadership of a this historical men's brand at a time where men are really being questioned, criticized, their behavior and their motives questioned, you could either see that as a terrifying thing to do or as a massive opportunity. And obviously I treated it, as did my colleagues, as a massive opportunity. And what we found is that there was all this valid criticism of brown men and sexual behavior in and out of the workplace and what there wasn't a lot of was like constructive ideas. It's okay. Men are hearing that the culture is demanding that they change and that we reassess our values. We reassess our behavior, but how do we do that? Not a lot of constructive first steps forward were being offered. And we found that as this historical men's brand, we had the opportunity to really lead and to begin to chart a path forward and to begin to speak to our audience about how men might begin to evolve in a way that would be better from a values perspective, from a work perspective, from a life outside of work perspective. And here in the US launched an issue called the new masculinity issue. And that was something that all of the global leadership, once we underwent this global transformation, really took on. And that has been a continued theme of this idea of the evolution of man, I guess you could say. Brilliant. So within the themes, how does it work day to day? How much content are you sharing, for example, or is it all just about the overall vision? It's about all of that. So the way that it works is the most important thing is the facility that we all gained with Zoom by virtue of having all at once, the whole world navigated this pandemic, really fast forwarded our ability to collaborate globally. So we spend a lot of time when the, I, 
there's a group that I call the GQ Global Leadership Committee, which is all of us that have global functions to our role and then the editorial leaders at each of the GQs around the world. We spend a lot of time every week on Zoom together working as one editorial team. The other thing that's really important to understand as a global media brand is that every story is local. There's no such thing as a global story. The world itself does not like birth an interesting story, whether it's a celebrity that we're covering or an incredible long form yarn that we're reporting out. All of it happens someplace super specific. So every story is local. And through this global leadership committee, we're able to raise ideas that come from all around the world, analyze them, also talk about big projects that we're going to embark on together. So what does it mean for this longstanding sort of tentpole program of GQ's Men of the Year? What does it look like in the global era? And then, as I know we're going to talk about more today, we also have this new initiative called the Global Creativity Awards. We're able to have ideas like that and share them on Zoom in these several times a week when we all gather and talk out these ideas and prioritize the ones that we want to tackle. And then also work together to share best practices, to syndicate stories that we've seen be a hit in one market. And the editor in one market might point out that they've got we can all also see it on our audience data dashboards where there are stories around the network that are resonating with audiences, but we also share with each other. We've got this story that's doing really well. And what are the other who's for whom the audience it would resonate as well? And then we have the ability to adapt that story by translating it and syndicating it. So there's all these new powers that we've unlocked by getting ourselves organized in a new way. I like that, describing it as powers. Yes, <laughs> <And> <laughs> Late, latent powers that we have now seized. Yeah. Love it. Brilliant. So, yeah, as you mentioned, you've got something, your biggest global collaboration yet coming up, I think perhaps sounds fair to say. Yeah, a creativity issue and awards. Do you want to just start by telling us what it is? Yeah, of course. As I mentioned, we have this big platform called Men of the Year, which is decades old in the US and the UK and has been around for quite a long time around the entire GQ global network. And that takes place, it's the December issue and takes place in late November. And we began talking as a global team about what is something that we would like to do that is on that scale in the first half of the year, just so we would have a more balanced sort of editorial calendar. And these big moments where you're bringing the full firepower of the GQ brand to bear just are so important for the health of the brand, for awareness, for audience reasons, for commercial reasons. And we felt like we wanted something in the first half as well. And as we were having creative conversation about what that could be, this idea of creativity really rose to the top where one way, as I mentioned, GQ is the global flagship of men's fashion, but we're also looking at it, what are the stories that we're telling all day, every day across all of our platforms? What is it about? And one thing that rose to the top is this idea that we, GQ, specializes in highlighting innovative people from across culture, from across disciplines, who are using their creativity to make the world a better place. So it's both that innovation and the values piece. And we thought, how incredible would it be, especially in a time where a lot of the most exciting energy in culture is coming from people who don't stick to their silos, who don't just work in one industry. Like all of the things, we're constantly talking about multi-hyphenates, multi-platform, highly collaborative individuals. And we thought most awards programs go by industry and silo, right? It's, and then even by gender, best actor, best actress, best female performance by a 
pop duo or whatever. And we're like, we see all the energy in our world is coming from people who just go crashing through silos and punching through glass ceilings. So we put that lens on our world and created an awards program. There are nine winners this first year. Four of them are on the cover. There's a little bit of variation as to who's on the covers around the GQ network, but for the most part, it's Apple CEO Tim Cook, Donald Glover, who is both a sort of Hollywood superpower and has Childish Gambino. Again, that multi-hyphenate piece. He's a musician. He's a show creator. He's an actor. He's a comedian. He's an executive producer with a huge Amazon deal. Ho Yun, who started as a fashion model and then had a breakout role as the star of Squid Games and then the fashion designer Yoji Yamamoto. But there's also a skater and Carol G, the reggaeton superstar, Gaetano Pesci, the artist, designer, architect. So we called it GQ's Global Creativity Awards, and we set a very high bar for ourselves that any of the winners needed to be true, multidisciplinary, multi-platform, highly collaborative creators. And the other thing is we needed the totality of the list to truly be global. I think a lot of times in our world, brands will announce things like this, but it becomes just the SOS, the same old stuff repackaged. And we wanted to make sure that we were really honoring this this concept. If we're going to call it the Global Creativity Awards, it's going to be truly global and we're really going to focus on this specific type of creator that we think is really driving culture. So it's a wall-to-wall April issue globally of GQ. And then the first ever Global Creativity Awards event will be held, is being held April 6th here in New York City. Hi, I'm Anoush, and I host the New Statesman podcast. Twice a week, we get under the skin of Westminster to help understand what's going on and what's going to happen next. We interview politicians, policymakers, and people on the front line to get you the full story behind the headlines. Plus, hear from our award-winning editorial team, including political editor Andrew Marr, to get to the bottom of what on earth is happening. Listen to the New Statesman podcast. You can subscribe now wherever you get your podcasts. In terms of doing something global, obviously having an in-person event isn't global, but it's part of the overall thing. But how do you still give it that global feel? Yeah, I think it starts with number one is just having great global representation among the winners. Number two is luckily we have our very global digital platforms where we're able to share all of the storytelling that went into the April issue. And then everything that happens at this event, which for this first year, at least we're holding in New York City, but it has the participation of all the GQs around the world. And we'll all be sharing all of the amazing content that's created from it. And I think in the same way that the Oscars or a global moment, even though it's held in Hollywood or the Met Ball, which is held at the Metropolitan Museum here in New York is a truly global moment. They're the World Cup. There are so many examples of this. And it goes back to that idea that every story is local, but it can resonate globally. And the other thing I would add is that 
men of the year, our program that happens at the end of the year is global in the sense that every GQ around the world hosts its own men of the year party in their home city. So this is a related but different idea where we're all collaborating on this platform, but there's just one global event. So it's cool to me that now that we have both of these, it's a different take on what it means to be global. Yeah, that's interesting. You're covering both sides. On the editorial side of it, what were the things maybe you've learned on this issue and previous issues perhaps as well about maybe best practice on doing a collaboration of this scale that other people might be able to learn from? Yeah, I think this is a little bit dry, but you just really have to have your organization together on an operational level. There are incredible, incredible amount of details that go into simultaneously publishing content around the world, especially when it's something like a huge cover story that is immediately going to be shared across all the social platforms, which are global. There's a level of coordination that has to be in place. But I think from there, the key are that your global leadership, that in our case, it's that that GQ Global Leadership Committee, that we're really operating under a shared vision. And we understand that. So for the first iteration of the Creativity Awards, we have nine honorees. And not every country in the GQ network is going to have somebody from their country on that list. The numbers just don't work. But if we're doing it right, we're all collaborating and talking and sharing our audience's point of view. And somebody like Ho Yun, who is this emergent Korean superstar, we've all seen the profound impact that Korea is having on global culture, whether it's BTS or Squid Game, so many examples recently. And so that is a, she's a, again, a local story, but she really resonates global and represents something bigger than herself. And I think the same is true for the reggaeton star, Carol G that is on our list where she's from Colombia. There has just this been this incredible explosion in Latin music in Spanish. And so she's Carol G. She's this incredible talent, but she's also our way of acknowledging this much bigger cultural force that she's a part of. Oh, Squid Game was just absolutely massive. <laughs> it really was, yeah. <laughs> Literally a phenomenon. And I have to say, it's really cool too, when obviously Hollywood is still a powerful driver and obviously in music, America is still a huge force. The UK is still a huge force, but through this global network and all this sharing, idea sharing, and then on the front end and content sharing at the end of the arc, we're able to tell these stories and highlight exciting actors and musicians, movers and shakers around the world. And it doesn't just become this like, another Hollywood actor. So that to me is really exciting and uh, really just like honors this new world where the biggest thing on Netflix comes not from Hollywood, but from Korea. Mm. Yeah, it's changed so much. Just on the revenue side of things, how has the global collaboration unlocked what you're able to do in terms of revenue and maybe appealing to advertisers or other clients? Yeah, it's been really powerful just because there's not another media brand with a men's focus or with a men's fashion focus that is organized in this way and that has this level of global presence. So I think we've really been able to separate ourselves from the competition. 
And these things always, whenever you undergo a massive transformation to the way your business is structured, I think even your longstanding clients have a lot of questions. And we certainly had a lot of questions to answer. And Definitely some clients that took a bit of a, okay, we understand what you're up to and we want to we wanna see the proof. And I'm very proud to say that we were able to prove out our concept very quickly and our new global organization and what it offers to the clients has been very well received. Just one example is we, so we have a partnership with Gucci, between Gucci and GQ Sports, a collaboration around this film series that we're creating called Hero's Journey. And what we're able to offer to a client like Gucci is to say, we're going to come to you at a global level, create this collaborative campaign, and then we can distribute it across this network. And that just wasn't a capability that a lot of our partners had in any of their partners previous to this global transformation. And then the other thing is just that I think we've done it thoughtfully. We rec- we recognized from the very beginning that we were going to draw this thing up on paper, essentially, on org charts and decks and all that. But then we were going to launch it and we were going to have a lot of learning to do, a lot of fine tuning, and that we would just have to stay open-minded and flexible and see what worked and what didn't. I always imagine it as this, like, we built this global pipeline, almost the, these shoots that almost look like a water slide. And we're like pushing content through it and there are little gaps in the pipeline and it falls out and you got to, you got to get out the tool belt and go over there and patch things up and get it flowing again. So it's been an iterative process for sure, but a really exciting one. And I think it is really clearly resonating with clients. One thing that we're still addressing and working collaboratively with our partners to, to figure out the best ways for us to work together is We are now globally organized, but most advertising budgets still sit locally. So there's this understanding from the clients that they are able to use us in this powerful new global way, but that isn't necessarily how they're organized. But we're still obviously organized that the budget can be spent locally, but there's still opportunity to be unlocked on that front, which is exciting because I just see it as growth ahead. Yeah, you've just got to be able to bring people with you. Yeah, exactly. And work collaboratively. Collaboration obviously doesn't just happen internally at a company. It it also happens externally with your partners. So like, how can we work together in new and better ways now that we've got ourselves organized in in a new and better way? Yeah, Yeah, definitely. So on the creativity issue and awards, with a big new launch like that, how do you decide if it's worked or not? Or what sort of targets do you set? Yeah. So the number one for me is always editorial excellence. Did, did So in this case, it's this wall-to-wall themed issue around creativity for April GQ globally. Do we feel that we crossed our very high bar just in terms of storytelling, in terms of photography, in terms of design, all the components that make a great issue of GQ? And also for year one, how did talent respond? Because you're basically... It's the same for talent and clients. You're going out with this new idea and you can't show them last year's. You, you got to sell them on this new idea. But luckily, this concept of creativity, I think people, I always say it's the ultimate cultural currency of our time. And I feel that talent recognize that and clients recognize that as well. So I mentioned Apple CEO, Tim Cook, Donald Glover, Ho Yun, and then on the client side, David Yurman, State Farm. Delta, Bombay Sapphire really resonated both with talent 
and with GQ's clients. And then I'm super grateful to all of them because they took the plunge with us. There's a leap of faith when you can't just say, that is that amazing thing we've been doing for the last 15 years. Don't you want it this year? whether you're a talent or a client. So I have definitely been on Zooms explaining my vision for this thing. And luckily it has resonated. Or I say luckily, but I just think, I think it's a resonant idea and we're seeing that proved out. So the editorial excellence and then the, of course, the revenue and then how will it resonate with audiences when we roll out the issue this week and how will all of the content from this amazing event that we're putting together, how will that resonate with audiences? And then what we'll do starting the week after the big night is begin to look at all the data, talk about what was just amazing and we can't wait to do again next year and what needs to be fine-tuned or what needs to be snipped off and never thought about again. So there's a big unpacking process whenever you're piloting something like this as well. Brilliant. Looking forward to seeing how it goes. Thank you very Um, much. Yeah. Wish us (laughs) luck. Say a prayer. Thanks for that, Charlotte. Great interview. Impressive looking man as well, isn't he? But I suppose you would expect nothing less from the the editorial director of a star magazine. You need to be well turned out. Oh, definitely. Anna Winter's not getting into Vogue in her tracksuit. Yeah, I need to raise my game. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it's great. And listening to that, I thought one of the things that struck me from it was just what a massive deal the pandemic has been for news media. Like it's just pre-pandemic and post-pandemic. It's such a watershed, isn't it? And how everything's changed and there are winners and losers emerging. And uh, one of the things that's come out of it, for them anyway, is the globalisation side of it, which I hadn't really thought about before, but the world did suddenly become a lot smaller, didn't it? Because we all had to cooperate during the pandemic to find vaccines and so on and, but, and to communicate. And we, I remember we communicated over Zoom with people we wouldn't dream of getting in touch with before because it's just so easy to do it. And it sounds like they've changed a lot too. And it sounds like there's a lot to, lot to learn as well. But what do you think of the big things that other publishers can, can learn from what they're up to at GQ? Yeah, so a couple of things similar to what you've just said, but basically don't be afraid of huge, quite whole scale change, especially if like distance and time zones are some of the biggest reasons you may not have done it before. As you just said, the pandemic changed how we approach that. Obviously, lots of people are have already made quite big changes, but just don't be afraid to literally like start again, I suppose. That's effectively what lots of the Condé Nast editorial teams have done in the way that they're structured. And similarly, you can, as a result, employ talent wherever they are more easily rather than just restricting yourselves to certain markets. So that's a really good advantage of it as well. One thing which Will did mention, but I think it's good to highlight is it's really important to decide what your brand stands for. So for example, at GQ, some of the markets they're in are very different cultures almost you've got the middle east you've got europe you've got the us you've got brazil you've got a lot of very different countries but to make something like this work you have to have sort of one vision one set of brand values or what you think the brand is and then have that reflected across every market and finally i think just 
the obvious point about revenue and having relationships with clients obviously you have to take them with you on the journey but often in these sorts of conversations people talk about offering packages across print digital podcast newsletters and different packages to ever before but I just wanted to make the point that can obviously also apply to different markets UK US wherever else rather than being a bit more restricted than before so remain steadfast in your adherence to the brand values that's the rock that you build everything on but don't be afraid to change everything else almost yeah basically (laughs) no no small thing love it thanks charlotte you've been listening to the future of media explained with me press editor-in-chief with uk editor charlotte tobit and engineered by adrian bradley you can read more about this story and anything else news media related on pressgazette.co.uk where you can also sign up for our newsletters don't forget to like the podcast and subscribe to it as well wherever you get your podcast thanks for listening hey it's danny pellegrino from everything iconic ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80 percent less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up Quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. That's Quince.com slash upgrade.